Um, but happy Father's Day to all the fathers in here. And, and so uh, when we started talking about this concept of God and, and putting out the different things we're going to talk about, um, goodness of God was one of the one topics that I got, and it fell perfectly on Father's Day because I don't think there's a better way to really describe the goodness of our Father God without comparing Him to, to fathers, and the Word of God does that pretty plainly. So that's where we're going to go this morning, and um, you know, we kind of tried to trick the dads this year by having man camp the week before Father's Day so they'd get their camping out of their system and come to Father's Day Sunday service um, and try to get them here, but... You know, Father's Day, um, just got a few things I'm going to put here. You know, I, one other thing I wrote down is, is you, do you know what day of the year most phone calls are made? Mother's Day. Do you know what day of the year most voice messages are left? Father's Day, right? Because they're like not answering their phones, especially me. Um, but I came up with a few things, a few ideas for men of my top 10 list of why it's good to be a man. So you have to, to bear with me on this one. This is my top 10 list of, of, of reasons why it's good to be a man. Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds. I don't have to call my friends, and they still will remain my friends. No bathroom lines. No need for a purse, even though my son has found many reasons to carry a satchel. It's not a purse, it's a satchel. You don't have to relearn how to spell your last name. You can, and this is hard on my wife, you can leave a hotel bed unmade. And better yet, you can leave your own bed unmade. And that's okay. Another good one, underwear, $10 for a three-pack. You can watch a game in silence for an hour with a buddy and never have to wonder, is he mad at me? And one of my favorites, if another guy shows up at a party wearing the same outfit as you, you just might become lifelong friends. Like, that is awesome. And the last one is you might know what this sound means. Da-da-da, da-da-da. It's for those guys that watch a lot of Sports Center. But Father's Day, um, we're going to be kind of putting these things together. And I mentioned this morning in the early service that... Uh, if you ever watched a kid run down a hill and they kind of just pick up that speed, you're, you're just wondering if they're going to wipe out. But I feel like this morning's service was one of those services where God was in this place and he's just been picking up speed. Because everything that has happened so far in the service from the worship songs that we sang to what Noah has shared is really, you know, propelling us to what God is going to challenge us with this morning and what I've, I've put together um, in the sermon this morning. And so as we go into this, I've been called a lot of names in my lifetime. But dad is one of those names that stands out the most. And as a dad, you can't wait to hear those amazing words from your baby. You know, and it might come out as gibberish, but you heard dad, right? It's like, oh, he said dad. And the wife's going, no, that wasn't close. You're like, no, it was dad. Definitely was dad, right? But we all have a father or we wouldn't be here. But many times our earthly view, good or bad, muddies our view of our real father our Father in heaven. So this sermon is for everyone this morning because like I said, that we all have earthly fathers, but more importantly, we all have the same heavenly Father. And so we're going to talk about this heavenly Father. John 1, 12 for 13, verses 12 and 13 says this, Yet to all who received him, 
To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So today, my title will pull the two aspects together, the goodness of God and God being seen as a father, and I titled it a good, good father. So how do we sometimes view our father God? A lot of times we view our Father God through our eyes of viewing our our earthly father. And so the first idea I put down here is the absent dad. The absent dad. This is a dad not involved in our upbringing, or you never knew him, or you feel like he doesn't care about you. I see this as having trust issues. And so we're going to start reading, and I'm going to walk us through Mark chapter 4. And it's a parable that Jesus was telling. And in this parable, which is different than some of the other parables that he told, is he actually gives an explanation of why he's sharing this story with us, why he's sharing this parable with us. And I'm going to be relating this to the different dads that I'm pulling out here. And so the first one is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, listen, great way to start. If Jesus says, listen, you want to pay attention. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So like I mentioned before, this is, this is where I see trust issues happening. It's like the hard surface. We're not going to let anything in to hurt us again. And so we've been hurt by this, and we've, we've had this, this hurt that's happening, and so we put up this barrier, and we're not going to trust. And we do that same thing in our relationship with God. It reflects on our ability to struggle with trusting God. We start to think, I can do better on my own. Or we don't think we deserve God's love. Maybe church or a church leader has hurt us somehow. And so we put up a barrier, put up a wall that says, I'm not going to trust anyone, especially God. But Jesus goes on, and, and like I said, he, he starts to explain it later on in, in Mark chapter 4. And so we're going to bounce to that, verses 13 and 15. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. So the word of God is challenging us here as he's saying that the seed is like a word. It's being planted in us. And because of the hardness of that, because of that, we're not allowing that word to come in and start to cultivate in our life. You hear this news about a father that loves you, but before it can sink in and take root, the enemy comes in and destroys that desire to know your father. And how does he do it? He does it with lies. And, and actually, the enemy, Satan, is described in a powerful way as a father. And so I want to read what kind of father Satan is described at in the Bible, in John chapter 8, verses 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so here he is describing the enemy and he goes on and says, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So he's describing the enemy as, as the father of lies. And part of this idea of, this, of not trusting anybody, not allowing this, is because we start to believe the lies of the enemy. We start to believe the things that he starts to put into our mind, that I'm not worth it, I can't do enough to please him. That why would he love me? I don't desire his love. We feel like we are not good enough. I tease the, the guitar player that was up here dancing around, Aaron. We call him A-Ron. And I always say, A-Ron, you done messed up. And sometimes we feel that way with God, that we just done messed up. Why would he want us back? Why would he love us? So we start to believe the lies instead of following the truth, just as he stated in, in John. So we go from the absent dad to the next dad that we're going to read about in Mark that I call the disciplinarian dad. This is a, we have an idea of, of God, a God who is waiting for us to do something wrong. He's waiting for us to mess up. How many of us remember hearing, or maybe for some of us using this statement, just wait until your father gets home? Remember hearing that one? And as a dad, you have no idea what's happening. You're on your way home, you drive up in the driveway, and you're expecting what you'd love to hear. Daddy's home, daddy's home, and the kids come running out. Instead, your wife's at the door, their arms folded. She's stomping her foot a little bit. And she leans in the house and yells, Daddy's home. And it's not for your benefit, it's for your kid's benefit, right? And you're hearing that and knowing, oh no, I'm in trouble. What have, what, what's happened? I still remember my dad's favorite line when he spanked me, that one time that I got in trouble. Um, the only time I messed up. Um, but he made this statement, this is going to hurt me more than this is going to hurt you. And being the smart aleck kid I, I, I was, because I'm not anymore, I, I, I always wanted to look at him and say, well, then let me spank you. I'll relieve some of that pain for you and for me. Um, but I was smarter than that because I knew that I would get double the spanking. So I never said that. But some of the characteristics of this dad, of this disciplinarian dad, is performance-based. A performance-based. I was in Chicago last week doing uh, a wedding for my wife's cousins and get, got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, it's great to be with family that loves God and, and spend time with them. My brother is in Chicago, so I got to spend some time with him and his kids. But the, the family that we were staying with um, has a long line of, of football in their family. His, his brother played in the NFL. His nephew's playing in the NFL. So they're, they're football people. And he coaches a high school football team. And so I was just talking to him about sports because I'm involved in sports in a lot of different areas. And uh, he really shocked me with his statement when he said, do you know what the number one reason Kids quit sports. And I was like, what? He goes, the ride home in the car. Think about that. You know, the number one reason kids quit sports is the ride home in the car. Well, if you'd only done this, and if you'd have done this, and if you'd have done it this way. I remember being at a, a football game of one of our young people. He was playing in a football game, and there was a dad storming the sidelines, walking up and down, and he wouldn't stop screaming at the kids. Wouldn't stop screaming at the kids, and even the parents were getting upset. And I was like, man. Finally, a kid in the middle of the huddle turned around and, and yelled, would you please shut up? We're trying to have some fun out here, you know? And it was just like, wow. 
All of us parents wanted to start clapping, you know. But it was just seeing this kind of stuff going on that, that it's such, we, we have this idea of God almost in that same basis of, of its performance-based relationship with God. Some, for some people, the only time you got attention is when you did something bad. And you see this as a teacher, you see this as a youth pastor, a lot of kids that act out because that's the only time that they get attention is by acting out. Am I saying discipline is wrong? No, because my kids are listening. <laughs> but discipline needs to be based on love. Discipline needs to be based on love. As a kid, did you understand discipline? You didn't, did you? But as a parent, you understood the need for it. Because we don't want to raise spoiled, rotten kids. So the discipline, how important is this? Father God is the same way. Discipline is how he teaches us something. God disciplines us because he wants to teach us something. He says in Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So going back to Mark chapter 4, verse 5, this verse is describing this. This gives you a better understanding of this. He says, Some fell on the rocky place where it did not have much soil, It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And to understand this, we'll we'll jump to the the explanation found in verses 16 and 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, did you just catch that when it said when, when trouble and persecution come? It doesn't say when trouble and persecution comes from our family. When trouble or persecution comes from work or, or loss of someone in our life. It says when trouble and persecution comes from the word. When we get challenged by what God's word is saying, we want to run. We don't have deep roots, so we walk away. So here he is. They accept Jesus in their life. They're excited about serving him, but as God starts to discipline them through his word, they fall away. They start to view him as a legalistic killjoy. I'm starting, I want to follow Christ. I want to have him in my life, but the Bible's telling me that I need to change my relationship status. The Bible's telling me I need to change the way I start to talk to my family, to my kids, to my coworkers, that I need to start to change some of the addictions in my life and get rid of them. Not the people around me. This is what God's word is telling me, and and that's a little tough. So we have no roots, and so we walk away. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. You get disciplined, and instead of growing through it, you stand against it, and you pull away. Proverbs 12.1 puts it in a very plain way and when it says whoever loves discipline loves knowledge but whoever hates correction is stupid pretty plain right there right and it's like coaching um my sons were in the video up there but my my middle son i i coach him with brandon albertoni is one of our coaches and uh one of the guys mentioned on the screen um is, is uh, James Marcotte is another one of our coaches that we coach with. And we practice with, with these kids almost every day. And when we're at practice, we drill these kids. And, and we go through the fundamentals. And we challenge them to get better in everything that they're doing, to learn. 
We do infield every time. And when they mess up, we do it again. When they mess up, we do it again. And why are we doing this? Because we're just really mean coaches? Because we want the kids to have no fun? No, we're teaching them the disciplines of the game so they know what to do when they're on base. They know what to do when the ball's coming at them. They know all these things that are happening. So when it comes game time, they're ready for the game. When the ball is hit to them, they know where to throw it. When they run the bases and the coach gives them a signal, they know what's happening. And throughout life, God is trying to do the same thing to us. He's working on the things in our life and he's challenging us with all the things through his word in our life because he knows that there's gonna be a time when it's game time. And he needs you to stand strong. He needs you to be at your best. And if you're not in his word and if you're not being challenged by those things and if you're not willing to learn, you know, as a coach, that's the hardest thing to do. We had a great team this year. We had a couple guys that came on this team that had no idea even how to catch the ball. We had a guy, if you've ever watched The Sandlot, that he is like the spitting image of squints. If you ever watched that show, I mean, everything about him, he was squints. You know, and this guy would, the first time we hit a fly ball to him, he ran the other way screaming. Like, this is going to be tough. But by the end of the year, Squints was catching everything. He was getting up there, hitting the ball. You know, we actually let him pitch to one batter just to, get, just to build up his confidence. But in that thing, is, it's one of those things of just training him so when it was game time, he knew what to do. So discipline. Because when it's game time, we don't want the costly mistakes, which are simply compared to the costly mistakes of life. Think back to the first example we find in the Bible of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid, right? They hid. They feared God's discipline. Something inside of them started to react that they were in the wrong. They started to feel naked for the first time. And so there's an author, Jack Frost, and it's not the Jack Frost you're thinking about. It's a Christian pastor that's named Jack Frost. And he wrote this book called Experiencing a Father's Embrace. And he uses the acronym for the word fig leaf to talk about sin and how we in sin, how it starts to react in our life. And so we're going to take the the word fig leaf and I'm going to give you some examples of of how this starts to to build on each other and how this starts to snowball in our life. The first letter is, is F, which is fear. We begin to fear rejection by God and rejection by other Christians. The fear of failure can paralyze us. That fear begins to lead to insecurities, the I. Fear takes root in our hearts. We become insecure with God. We become insecure with ourselves and insecure with others. Leads us to the G in fig, which is guilt. Guilt is the natural consequences of unconfessed sin. Guilt leads to loneliness. Guilt leads to loneliness, which is the L, loneliness. Loneliness is not being at home in the Father's love. Loneliness brings isolation. You can't experience true intimacy in any relationship when sin and shame are in the way with God and with others, which leads leads to the E, which is escapism. Because we lose this intimacy, we seek cover wherever it can be found. We seek cover in our job, in other relationships, in recreation, in fantasy, in religious activity, maybe our computer or other devices, in addictions, in the gym, or maybe even it's busyness. But escapism, 
which leads to the next one, which is the A, which is anxiety. You're not at peace. Unresolved sin. Anxiety will simmer just below the surface until the root cause is dealt with. It just builds up and builds up. Anxiety builds up because of sin. And then what do we do? We lash out at those around us. We lash out to our wife, our husbands, our kids, our coworkers, Utah drivers. You know, and it's just that anxiety, the things they're building up within, inside of us. And because of these things building up and all these things that we're going through in this fig leaf are in there, that it's the simplest thing that sets us off. The simplest things. And we're like, wow. And the people around us are like, whoa, where'd that come from? And it leads us to the last thing, which is failure. Consequences of sin create a vicious cycle causing further failure. We have to understand that through God's discipline, he doesn't hold it against us. And he doesn't continue to remind us of our shortcomings. But he brings forgiveness through his son and not through our actions. He brings forgiveness through his son and not through our actions. How many of us would love to be a kid whose parents reminded you of every sin that you committed? Every time you messed up, they'd go back. They'd carry around a list and say, well, you did this and you did this and you did this. And every time, they'd keep pulling that back on you. And sometimes we think God's going to do the same thing, but yet we, we serve a God that is so forgiving. A God that loves us so much that he doesn't hold that against us. He doesn't keep reminding us of our failures. And he tells us that there's not enough that you can do to make up for those failures. There's a story that I read about, about a 17-year-old son that was disciplined by his father. Again, 17-year-old son. And the 17-year-old son kept disrespecting his mother. And he kept disrespecting his mother. And finally, the dad had enough of it. So he's talking to the son. He says, I'm done. And he says, the next time you disrespect your mother, I'm going to take my belt off. And I'm I'm going to give you... 10 swats that you'll never forget. And the son was like, whoa. And so you you know what happened next? A few days later, the son disrespected the mother again. So he knew it was happening. He knew there was going to be consequences. So the dad says, let's go. Took him in his room. And the son's just kind of looking at him like, this is going to happen. And his dad takes the belt off, and something occurs to him as he's taking that belt off. I get emotional when I share this. As he's taking that belt off, something just hits him. And instead of having his son bend over to, to, to take his 10 lashes, his 10 wax, he hands the belt to his son, and he bends over the bed and says, okay, here we go. And the son looks at him like, oh, this isn't how it's supposed to go. I'm the one that messed up. I'm the one that disrespected mom. And he says, I need you to smack me. And he lightly hits him. And the dad says, no, I know you better now. You're 17 years old. And the son, with tears in his eyes, began to smack his dad. You think about that as we compare that to our God. Even though we deserve everything that we should get because of our failures, because of our sins, because of our actions, because of our disobedience, we have a father that says, you know what? I'm going to take the lashes for you. My son is going to die so you don't have to pay for those sins. He'll pay for them for you. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So we have the absent dad, and we had the disciplinarian dad, and we had the next dad, which I call the genie dad. 
This is the idea that shouldn't God give us what we ask for and when we ask for it? The characteristics of this dad go beyond just financial provision. It's a way of buying love instead of demonstrating it. We often find this type of dad in divorce situations. You know, they even make movies about that. There's a, a movie, and I just, I just watched a few clips of it. I haven't seen it. But a, a movie that came out called Daddy's Home. And it's two dads that, in a comical way, are really competing for their kids' affection. And they have to beat out the other dad. Whether it's buying their love or letting them do whatever they want. And this is the genie dad. They want to be the favorite. So we go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 7. The other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Is it wrong to provide for your family and to give your kids gifts? You know, it's not. It's part of our parenting responsibility, right? To support our kids and take care of our kids. But if I bought my kids everything they asked for, is that showing my kids how much I love them? Often it's easier to buy our love than to take time to demonstrate it. Because that's the grandparent's job, right? <laughs> and as the, the most famous verse that all of us have either, either memorized as a little kid, we see it being proclaimed at sports events, at sporting games. It's John three sixteen, And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the thing that we, we, we so want to emphasize in that verse is that, that the word gave, that he gave his only son, but we miss the most important phrase that comes right before that, that says, for God so loved the world. Our God so loved us that he gave. He just didn't, just didn't give to, to just please us and make everything just right. But he says he so loved us that he gave. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Life is to be loved and to love. The order of those two phrases is intentional. Because until we realize we are loved, it's tough, probably impossible to truly love until we can accept that we are loved, that he first loved us. So we go back to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read the explanation in verses 18 and 19, where Jesus goes on and says this, Still other seed, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in, and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. When our desire for what God can provide for us outweighs our desire for God himself, it begins to choke out our relationship with him. We become the kid at the store that we all love to be behind in the line, right? That begins to scream because he's not getting what he wants. That starts getting upset because things aren't turning out how he thought they would be. By giving my kids everything, I'm going to create a monster, right? So God sees our need, not just our wants. And there was a video I've shown to our youth a few times, and it's just a video that stuck in my mind. There's, there's a gentleman that does a great way of illustrating this idea where God, knows our, God sees our needs, not just our wants. 
It's a story of a, a, parenting, a parent that are taking their son, and they decided as parents they're going to take their three-year-old boy, and they're going to get him a nice new kickball. And they're like, every boy needs a kickball. So they're heading to the mall, and the boy has no idea. He's just with his parents. And they get in their mall, and they walk down the mall. And what do they have in malls? They have those kiosks that don't let you walk down the mall without being stopped, right? And they have a kiosk, and it had toys in it. And all of a sudden, the little boy's eyes lit up because he saw a guy sitting there, and he had this ball in his hand, and it had a, a rubber band-type thing hooked to it, and it went around his, his wrist. And this kid was sitting there, and he's throwing this ball out. It's coming back, and he's catching it every time. And the three-year-old boy was like, that is the coolest thing ever. He's like, I have to have that. I want that, Dad. He didn't know that he was going to go and he's going to get a kickball. It would probably be a lot easier for him to play with. A lot more fun they could have with that. And all the dad is picturing is that kid throwing it and wrapping it around his own neck or his sister's neck. You know, he's seeing the kid throw it and go flip him back and go through a window. He's like, no, three-year-old, this is not going to work for it. He knows that it's not going to happen. And it's going to be something that's going to be on the shelf in, in an hour because the kid's not going to know how to work it. But he knows that he had a plan for him. He knows that he was going to take him in there. So he drags his kid kicking and screaming because he wants that, that, that ball in the string. He needs it. My parents are so cruel. And the guy that's selling this stuff is like, man, those kids, parents are mean. Not knowing that they had a plan. They walk him into the sports store and they walk him to this wall of kickballs. And they say, pick out a kickball. And the kid realizes that's just what he wanted. But sometimes we do that in life as we cry out to God and we see something and we have to have this. God, you need to answer this right now. This has to happen right now. This, this is what I need. This is what I want. And we have such narrow vision. God is like, I have something so much better for you. And we just, we just don't realize that God, our Father, has plans for us. He knows what's in store for us. He says, if you just wait, I have something so much better for you. So we have the absent dad, the disciplinarian dad, the genie dad. And the last dad I'm going to talk about is the relational dad. It's where the son becomes a reflection of the father. Where the son becomes a reflection of the father. An example of that is found in John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. I have to put my glasses on again. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So the perfect example of the father through the son. You know, I just got back from man camp um, last week. It's been a roller coaster of a month. I went from doing a wedding in Chicago to man camp to um, leaving tomorrow morning for L.A. And so it's just been kind of crazy. But at man camp, one of the things that I love doing is because we get to bring our sons it's, my, it's, it's the, the, the time that we get to bring our boys with us and watching the boys as a reflection of their fathers and the things that they do, the things that they say, the things that they talk about and seeing that of being a reflection of, of who their father is. So Mark 4.8 continues on as, as we read through this, as this being the last one. It says, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew and produced a crop, 
multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. What are you producing? Children grow up with the, the desire to either be like or nothing like their earthly fathers. Are you growing up to be like your father? And I'm not saying earthly father. Are you growing up to be like your heavenly father? Are you growing up to be like God? Galatians 4 verse 6 and 7 says, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who, cra- who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. The term Abba, Abba Father is defined in the Aramaic as, as like Daddy God. It's a term of true relationship. And so this idea that we just read in, in Galatians about that you're no longer a slave, but a son, and since you're a son, you're also made heir, is, is sh- sh- shown so perfectly in another parable that Jesus told. And this parable is a parable of the lost son. It's a story about two sons and their father. And many of us know the story as the prodigal son. And the term prodigal itself means to spend or give lavishly or recklessly. To spend or give lavishly or recklessly. And I'm not going to read the story, but I'm going to give you kind of a brief overcast of it. The, the, the dad had two sons, and in, in that time period... When the father passed away, the sons would then take the inheritance to themselves, and they were given the financial benefits of their father, like any inheritance. And so the younger of the two sons couldn't wait. And so he went to his father, and he said, I want my inheritance now. And in that time period, by going to your father and saying, I want my inheritance, basically you were saying, I wish you were dead so I can have what's due me. So you can understand and, and, and kind of experience what this father is going through, of his son saying, I wish you were dead, give me what I deserve. So he gives, knowing that his son's not going to be able to handle this, he gives him half of the inheritance. And the story goes on to say that he went off, gained lots of friends because he just had a lot of money given to him. And it says he went off and, and started spending lavishly. And that's where they kind of get the idea. He started spending lavishly and recklessly. And it came to a point where the money ran out. And he was sitting in the pig pen, wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating because he had nothing. And he started thinking about that. And he says, you know, even my father's servants eat better than I do. Why don't I just go back and just be a servant to my father? I'll just serve him. I'll just do all the right things now. And so he's starting to head back and he says, I want to be a servant. And what does his father do? He sees him at a long way off. And so he runs to him. And his first words were, I told you so. No, that wasn't his first words, was it? His words were, I told you you'd mess up. Why'd you screw everything up? He ran to him, wrapped his arms around him, and he pulled him in. And I really think this story should be called the prodigal father because who really gave recklessly? Who really gave everything lavishly was the father because he forgave his son. He says, bring out the best robe, bring rings and put them on his fingers. Let's throw a party because my son has come home. My son has come home. So the dad didn't run up to him and, and do it told you so, but he loved him unconditionally. And so as we, we read the last part of Mark chapter 4, as Jesus explains this whole idea of, of this last seed that is producing something, 
You know, the world has taken the term 420 and turned it into their own little laughing stock. This is a great 420 to, to really think about when you think about the word growing something. Because this is talking about, in, in Mark 420, he says this. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word. They accept it and they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. God loves us extravagantly and unconditionally. He so loved us. He so loved us. But my question to you this morning, my question that I want you to ask yourself is what are we producing? Are we producing the same kind of love that God our Father has for us? My hope with my own son is that you see fruit of my life in theirs. You see fruit of my life in the things that I've tried to raise them in and taught them. But more importantly, I want, I, want them, I want people to be able to see a reflection of who God is in their life. If we're a reflection, a reflection of the love our Father has for us, what will people see? People should see our Father in everything we do. Do people see our Father in how we trust our wives and our husbands? How much trust we have with our kids? Do people see our Father in that? Do people see our Father in how we work in the workplace, in our ethics, in our integrity, in our actions, the things that we talk about? Are those a reflection of our Father? Do people see a reflection of our Father in how we serve? Not a have to, but a want to. As we read before, not as a servant, but as an heir. Have you learned, what have you learned from your good, good father? What have you learned from your good, good father? How many times have we crawled back to God saying, I done messed up? And he responds like the prodigal father. And he loves on us recklessly. As Laura comes up, we're going to close with a song and a a challenge to you guys. But don't let our views of our earthly father, good or bad, be a reflection of our heavenly father. Don't let those be uh, the, the, the reflection that we want people to see, like I said, good or bad. But let our lives be a reflection of our heavenly father. So this morning, some of us have forgotten who our father is. Or maybe we've never have accepted this extravagant love of a father. This morning is your chance to accept the love of our Father God. If you've had a hard time because of the first three points I talked about, about, of not allowing that seed to fit in because we have trust issues, because we see Father God as a reflection of maybe our own father, or we see God as so much of a disciplinarian that he won't, won't ever forgive me for the things I've done or how I've messed up, This morning, we have the chance to accept this love, this soul love of a father that he has for us. The rest of us need to examine our life and ourselves and say, do we reflect our true father or are we struggling with past hurts from maybe our own failures? Maybe your own view of your father has muddied your view of God. Or maybe this morning, you just need to crawl up into your father's arms And feel them just wrap up in you. Feel a father say, I love you, son. But as we listen to this song being sung, you can sing along, 
You can stand up, you can sit back, you can contemplate your Father God. Maybe you want to come forward and, and have one of the leaders pray with you or just pray quietly yourself. Spend time talking to God about who He is in your life. Is He your good, good Father this morning?